0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Of all the Gospel lessons for this Lenten season, today's lesson might be the most important for us to hear and learn. For here, our Lord Jesus teaches us to live and to die without fear. To go about the business that God has given us without fear or anxiety. For in life and in death, we are the Lord's. We have been bought at a price, and that price is the very blood of God. Jesus went about his life and his death fearlessly. Indeed, nothing would dissuade him from the orthodoxy of his teaching. Nothing would dissuade him from living a holy and upright life. Likewise, nothing would deter him from his journey to the cross, from the shedding of his blood for us. He was not deterred when his own disciple and friends stood in his way, nor was he deterred when the Pharisees attempted to keep him from entering Jerusalem, as in our gospel text today. Get away from here, the Pharisees snarled at him, for Herod wants to kill you. This was almost certainly a lie, since when Herod was given the chance, he showed no interest. Furthermore, the Pharisees could have cared less if Herod did want to kill Jesus. They would have been happy if he succeeded. So in all likelihood, what these Pharisees were trying to do was scare Jesus away from their turf, away from Jerusalem where he and his teaching might do them more serious harm. But far from being frightened or intimidated, Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. It's as if Jesus was saying, You think I'm afraid of Herod? I cast out demons. You think I'm afraid of death? I daily overcome death and cure whomever I want. And a more accurate translation has Jesus saying, Not, and the third day I finish my course, but rather, and the third day I am brought to my goal. In other words, not Herod, but God will bring me to my goal. And the end of my goal and course is not death, but resurrection. So Jesus will not be intimidated. And since we are his neither should we. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fear and intimidation are the devil's tactics. He uses all manner of threats hoping that we Christians will fear something, anything, rather than God. He knows that the fear of God is the death of all other fears. As the small catechism teaches, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. What things make you fear to be a Christian? What things make you fear to be more boldly Christian? in all that you say and do. Perhaps it is the fear of being ridiculed. And that ridicule might come from those outside of the church or those inside of it. Perhaps it's the fear of being labeled a religious fanatic or a Bible thumper or, in our circles, a pietist. What things make you fear to be more boldly Christian in all that you say and do? Perhaps you fear losing your job or losing opportunities for your children. Perhaps you fear that the Rainbow Mafia will sue you or that you'll be charged with a hate crime. Dear friends, in these days, we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves But we cannot and must not be dissuaded from being fully Christian. We must not be dissuaded by those inside the church or outside of it. We must not be deterred by threats or by fear. We cannot and must not be anything less than fully biblical, fully confessional, fully Catholic, fully evangelical, fully Lutheran. For each one of these terms, when properly understood, is exactly who we are. And we do not gain our sense of value from the approval of a world that hates our God. Nor do we gain our sense of value from the approval of people who hate our God. Likewise, we don't gain our sense of worth from those who, through fear, attempt to turn us into something that we are not. For we are Christians. And our worth and our value come from Christ, who bought us with his own precious blood. Jesus was not at all afraid of Herod or the threats of the Pharisees. He was not afraid of those outside of the church or inside of the church. He was not afraid of the very worst that men could do to him. For, in fact, he had come for this very purpose, the purpose of giving his life as a ransom for many. So he said, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. In other words, casting out demons and curing the sick, Jesus will journey to Jerusalem, to his own death for us and to his resurrection. He will not be bullied by the threat of death, but will nevertheless go toward it precisely to destroy its power over us. Ironically, Jerusalem means city of peace. So in the first part of Jesus' lament over Jerusalem, you can hear his anger. "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. But then you can hear his surprising mercy. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? He says this even of those who had murdered the prophets of God and stoned to death the messengers of God, to the worst of the worst, to the vilest of the vilest, he says, how often would I have gathered you. How often would I have made you my own dear children. How often would I have sheltered you from every danger and hidden you under my wings. And with these very words he speaks to sinners, to us, as long as we do not reject him. For what comes next is his rejection and the acknowledgement that he has been rejected. He says, and you would not. With those words, you can hear the heartbreak and emotion of our Lord Jesus. How often, how many times, how many chances, how many opportunities I gave for you to receive me and my mercy. And you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, Jesus says. It's a play on the word of forgiveness. Instead of being released from your sins, you are released from God. Your house is released and forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No more will Jerusalem see Jesus until he comes on Palm Sunday. And indeed, no more will some of them see him until the last day. What shall we say? The same Lord who showed mercy to Nineveh destroyed Sodom. The same Lord who showed mercy to Jerusalem over and over again finally gave her over to judgment, and her temple lies in ruins to this day. The Lord is patient and kind, but there is a limit to his patience and a point at which he says to those who reject him, fine, have it your way. So here's a question. Whose approval would you rather have had? The approval of all Jerusalem or the approval of Jesus? There were many who bet on Jerusalem. And whose approval would you rather have? The approval of America or the approval of Jesus? There will be many who bet on America. Will you fear those who can destroy your reputation, or your finances, or your body? Or will you fear the one who holds your reputation in his hands for all eternity, who graciously gives you all things, who rescues you from death and will raise your body on the last day? Everyone fears something. Who will you fear? In Psalm 130, verse 4, the psalmist says to God, With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. When we realize that God is willing to set us free from all our sins, that God is willing to set us free from death itself, then we simultaneously realize that He is greater than all our sins, that He is greater than death, and all who would wield death against us. He is the one to be feared, him and him alone. For with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared." It is precisely in the forgiveness of God that we learn to fear God. And in the fear of God, we lose all other fears. So also, We do not gain our sense of worth from others. We do not need to gain our sense of worth from the approval of the world, or from success in the workplace, or even from the love of a family. We do not need to concern ourselves with having a sense of self-worth or self-esteem, because your worth comes from something far greater than yourself. Your worth comes from something far greater than your own judgments, including whatever self-condemnation or narcissistic delusions you might harbor. Your worth is proved in what was paid in order to acquire you, in what was laid down for you as ransom. And that price was nothing less than the blood of God poured out for you on Calvary's cross. That is your worth. Do you believe that? You were bought with the very blood of God before you were ever born, before you ever did good or evil, before you ever even took your first breath. So all your personal worthiness or unworthiness is utterly excluded. All your merits or mistakes Are utterly excluded. All your failures and triumphs are utterly excluded. Before you were even born, God loved you. He became as you in order to give his life for your life. He became as you in order to take your sins as his own and give you his righteousness. He became as you so that by whip and scourge, by nail and spear, he might pay the price necessary to purchase you as his own. Your sins have been atoned for, and the death that awaits you has been transformed into a gateway that leads to life. All this he did before you were even born. And now that you have been born, he announces and proclaims these things to you so that you might believe, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So we need have no fear, not in life and not in death. For the Lord our God is for us, and if he is for us, who can be against us? Christ Jesus became as you so that you would no longer have to be afraid. Christ Jesus became as you so that you would join him and the fear, love, and trust of God alone. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ. You are a Christian. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.